And then we'll switch over to chapter 6 and I'll step down and Micah will take over. Um, I'm seeing more and more that there's just so much we can take away from this. So I hope that you're uh, either preparing ahead of time and thinking through some of these things or maybe after class talking about this and and really letting these ideas and um, the gospel, uh, you know, effectuate the changes in your life and and strengthen your faith um, apart apart from us being together. So um, let's uh, go to God in prayer and then we'll do our reading. Holy God, our Father, uh, we thank you for the testimony that you've given us about your son. We thank you for all the things that you did to prepare the way to show us who he was to show us uh, that you have given him all authority. We thank you, God, for John writing these things down and for preserving them for us so that we may believe that he is your son, that he has all authority, and that uh, he is the lamb that was given to take away our sin. Be with us tonight, God, and and please help us to... um, Uh, Look at your word um, with renewed um, freshness, with fresh eyes, and and to meditate on it and uh, learn more about you, learn more about your will for us, and may it strengthen our faith and our conviction that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. Uh, We thank you, God, and thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. All right, if you are able and would like to, let's stand while we read chapter 5, beginning of verse 31. We'll read through the end of the chapter. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? 
right, you can be seated. <clears throat> yes, I did. Thank you. Okay, so um, with a limited amount of time, obviously this uh, there's uh, testimony that's happening here. Several things are mentioned that testify about Jesus. What stood out to you um, reading through it this time? Yeah, Ruth. Okay, so there was this message from Moses that they knew about, right? Um, It's interesting, in chapter 1, verse 45, Philip says, um, says in verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Philip, um, like Andrew and Peter, was from Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So they were definitely looking for this. Uh, We talked about how when John the Baptist was preaching, they came and asked him, Who are you? Are you the prophet? Probably meaning the one that Moses was writing about. And uh, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that Moses said another prophet is going to be raised up and teach you. What else did you uh, notice? Yeah, Chris? So I found it interesting. He talks about, in verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Okay. <laughs> At, on the surface, I sort of agree with that. But then he goes on to say, but it is they that bear witness about me, which is really the eternal life. But they, And he goes on down, he says, uh, verse 45, it's Moses, the one that accuses you, the one on whom you set your hope. So again, they're, they're searching for that, I guess I'd call it like that physical thing. They're going to follow all those laws and try to justify themselves through that. Right. Okay, yeah. Looking to where they point to the thing that can give you eternal life. Right, yeah. There yeah, I think that's the key. The it is you can see it in scripture, but that's because scripture points to Jesus, right? Mitch, what were you gonna say? Right, right. Yep, Chris. And I think the same thing applies to us and how we look at even the New Testament, how we look at the law. If we're searching that, we're, we're, we're dissecting it, looking for eternal life, but we're missing what it's pointing to, which is the eternal life, Jesus himself. Right, yeah. I have talked to several people that are maybe I would initially say have, they've swung the pendulum to the extreme grace side where there's literally nothing that can be done that you can do to 
throw away your salvation, right? And they've swung that far. And, and one of their arguments is that, okay, well, what is it that you feel like I have to do in order to lose my salvation? So is it, is it gambling? Is it uh, dancing? Is it, what, what, what is it? What, what actually is it that will, and, and whatever that is, are you raising that to the point where that's the thing giving you salvation or withholding, you know, uh, re- avoiding doing this will give me salvation. And that, that, that too is missing the fact that salvation is from the son. Jesus is our salvation, not keeping the law, not searching the scriptures so with, that we know them, but rather in the son, right? And there, that's a fine line. Bob, you got... I think that segue there is verse 38 that Chris mentioned, which is true, and that's probably the verse that jumped out at me in this whole section here. But the key, I think he presents the key to the problem. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. Then he said, even though we have an unfortunate break there, you search the scriptures... Well, scripture should already be in your heart, and you should already have seen what you wanted to. It's a lack of belief. What do you right. Have to do? You have to believe in Jesus Christ. Right, yeah. Yep. So his word is not dwelling in them, and he knows that because they don't believe the one God has sent. Yeah, boy. It's hard. True. Yeah, there's there's a head knowledge and a heart affecting uh, that that has to happen there. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Stephanie and then Micah. Right. And he says that you chose for a time to enjoy that light. Right. But now it's a little too bright and it's scaring them away. Right. So some of the things that testify about who Jesus is. Let's make sure that we caught all of those. Call them out to me. John the Baptist. The works that Jesus was doing, right? And we know that you are the son of God because we've seen the the works, right? We know you are a teacher come from God. What else? The father. uh, I think the the voice from heaven, right? This is my beloved son, right? Scripture. Scripture. We've talked about that scripture. And then Moses, right? Um, so any any other thoughts about that? I know that's not near enough time to cover it. Bob? You always need to remember that when they looked at Jesus, he did not add up to the Messiah that they were looking for. They were looking for the white 
stallion, the battle array, uh, the crown on his head, the conquering king uh, that was going to come in and, and liberate them. And uh, so he didn't fit their preconceived notion of who the Messiah was. Right, yeah. So they just dismissed him. Right, yeah. They were they were looking and looking and didn't see him standing right in front of them. As popular as he was, of course, they were jealous of that. Right. Yeah, they only saw a threat and competition for glory. I think I saw another comment. Okay, keep thinking about that. Send me your thoughts. I'm going to turn it over to Micah. We have a little bit of a tag team right here, so if I feel overwhelmed, I'll just tag Brad back and have him answer any more questions. Okay. Um, So, uh, I appreciate the comments that we've made so far about some of the assumptions that were being made. That, And we're going to see that this is not just uh, the religious elite. It was going to be everybody. They didn't see Jesus for who he truly was, and we need to be mindful that we don't do the same thing, uh, that we that we don't get caught up in our thoughts, our ideas, and get stuck on that, because that's going to be the problem that that, they, that gets them in trouble uh, through Acts. So we're going to be looking at chapter uh, 6, uh, at least the first part of the chapter. Um, one thing I want us to sort of keep in mind is that chapter six is really one complete story. It's not three separate stories, and it's not even one story with with uh, a, a separate miracle in chapter uh, verses fifteen through twenty one just interjected in there. It's really one full thought, one full uh, idea. So think about some of the things that we've been looking at, again, in connection to chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to see several uh, miracles and signs, and that again reminds us of chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, what these are pointing to, what uh, we are to believe about Jesus. So, uh, I'll be reading for us uh, verses 1 uh, through 29, we may not get all the way through that, but at least uh, we'll, we'll do what we can. Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went at, over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, 
But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So they... So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the fine barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Uh, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people were who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place, where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum. Seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Alright, so this is... Uh, we see a, an explanation, a portrayal of another one of the signs of Jesus. And this one miracle is uh, one that is portrayed in each of the gospel accounts. Now, I'd like for us to sort of stay here in John. There, there are other pieces of context that I appreciate uh, from the other gospel. But there are some things in this one that we don't see in the others. And so uh, we see sort of this transition. I, I, I do see a transition of thought uh, from chapter 5 to chapter 6. We're going to see Moses referred to again, as we saw uh, back in verses 45 and 46. 
Um, but it seems as though there's a, a big jump in location. We don't necessarily know where all of the previous conversation took place, but here we see Hades back in the region of Galilee, up in the north. And he is he's going to uh, one side of, of the uh, Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. And we see the people are following him. Uh, what stands out to you in the, in the setup of what's about to happen? The disciples seem surprised every time Jesus does something like this. Uh, they, they don't seem to think back at what they have seen him do already. Okay, that, that uh, we're going to see a miracle take place, but before that, we don't see any recollection as to, uh, oh, he's already done several signs already. What's he going to do now? It's, what are we going to do now? It's if they, uh, they see themselves in a predicament. Um, they're in a deserted region. Far away from any sources of food, and Jesus poses a question. Uh, what, what do you make of, of the question and the subsequent responses that are given? His compassion and his concern for his people. Verse 5, Jesus lifts up his eyes. That same phrase we saw back in chapter 4 when, when Jesus is telling his disciples, lift up your eyes and see that the, that the field is white for harvest. Uh, seeing the opportunities. He, he lifts up his eyes and perhaps a connection of thread that he sees an opportunity, he, sees, he has compassion and concern for the for people. Very good. Uh, what else? Yes? He test, it's a test. Okay. He, he doesn't tell you, he, uh, Jesus uh, doesn't tell Philip, hey, I'm testing you, pop quiz. Uh, this is sort of something that's mentioned uh, by, by the author to the, to the reader. Uh, it is a test. Um, we see that, that there are many other tests in Scripture uh, to see how God's people are going to respond. We've already mentioned about, you know, they should have figured something out by right now. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing to. They've been with him, they've seen several miracles, and so there's a whole lot of people, so he says, what are we going to buy food? What should have been the response? We don't need to buy anything. We've got you. Very, very true. I don't know if I would have had that response myself. Uh, just, I mean, Jesus asks a question dealing with finances, and the answer is given in financial terms as well, that, that 200 denarii is not going to be enough. Mitch, you know, couple things, um, kind of to Bob's point, I, I found it interesting that he was testing Philip, um, but he has alluded to this concept before with the woman at the well, well, with, um, he has food that they don't know about, um, and so I don't know if he's trying to tie that in there or not, but, and then, uh, verse 2, 
So, uh, again, some of those thoughts that uh, we saw back at the woman at the well, whenever she left, the disciples came, and, and Jesus says, No, I'm already filled. I have this food of doing the work of the one who sent me. And, that's, and so that's not necessarily his, his uh, primary concern. But also, uh, Mitch points out this concept in verse 2, that they follow him because they had seen the signs. And again, we're going to see what kind of faith that leads to among them. Uh, this isn't the first time where we see uh, concepts of uh, believing based on seeing signs. We saw that in chapter 2 in the last few verses. That people were coming to him because they saw the signs, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew it was in their hearts. Chapter 3, we saw Nicodemus say... We know that you've come from God because no one can do the signs that you are doing unless God is with him. And then Jesus says, you got it all wrong. You have to be born from God. In chapter uh, 4, with the healing of the, the nobleman's son, we see uh, that, that Jesus says, unless you guys uh, see these signs, you will not believe. And so perhaps bringing that into question, I appreciate that. Yeah, Raymond. between uh, what's going on here with the Passover. We're going to see several verses uh, uh, tying back uh, to the Passover and into the wilderness wanderings. Just that entire Moses figure that Jesus is superior. Uh, and we'll, we'll see connections uh, with that. Uh, good point. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, Philip seems to emphasize uh, just how little even 200 denarii would, would suffice. It would not be sufficient that everyone would eat just a little bit. That would not be enough for 5,000 men. Uh, 
Andrew perhaps may be more optimistic. I don't know. Maybe he sees this, this person over to the side. They have some food, which is barely enough lunch for himself and maybe somebody else. And he says, he's got five barley loaves, two small fish. But what's that among so many? And we're going to see what Jesus can do with so little. And I think that speaks to what he can do today. That do we see, do we doubt because whenever we see so little uh, in our surroundings, do we see what Jesus can do regardless of what resources we may see with our, with our, uh, with our eyes? Very good. Other thoughts as uh, this starts playing out in verses 10 and following. He tells them to sit down. There's much grass. Uh, yes. Yeah, this reminds me of Psalm 23. If the shepherd will make the sheep lie down and bring pastures. Um, I think other translations actually use uh, green pastures the green grass, but here Jesus makes them sit down in the green pastures. Very good. The, the concept of sitting down in the grass, he's he's taking care of them as a shepherd. Um, I had uh, one source uh, pointed at verse 3 that when he was up there in the mountain in that region, he sat down, which is sort of what shepherds and kings and judges all are known for. That's their posture of, of being in charge in a, in a, a seated posture. And then he took the loaves, and this seems to be the first of the hands-on uh, uh, miracles that he does. Most up to this point, he had spoken, and the word, through his word, is able to perform these signs. We see perhaps more of his words uh, in, in this boy. Another sign of his later on in this book that he gives thanks. And that's at the death of Lazarus. That he says, I thank you, God, that this is an opportunity that your glory may be manifested. Uh, so we see uh, thanksgiving as a key component in this. I mean, have you ever thanked God for your food and you ended up having more food because you gave thanks? That's, that's not how Thanksgiving works, but that's how God works, is that he's able to, to supply more than what we, what we can uh, have by ourselves. Uh, what else? That's about what I 
I understand that. Whenever it mentions the 5,000 men, some of the other miracles and portrayals will say, not including women and children. Uh, and so you're thinking that this is, this is a decent-sized stadium worth of people. And Jesus is able to distribute this, whether it's through him or through the disciples that are doing this. And then the, the pieces are gathered up. Yes. So I want to ask you that, uh, that they were saying up to 20,000. Up to 20,000? Yeah. And I mean, if, if you, a lot of, yeah, a lot of women followers, children would come. Absolutely. That's, that's a large number. And then an interesting component that we see here that we don't necessarily see in the other, uh, other parts in verse, uh, 12. Jesus gives a command, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Uh, we see them gathering them in the other accounts, but Jesus doesn't um, give that command necessarily uh, in those. Uh, interesting that, that he wants them all gathered and that nothing's going to be left behind when it comes to Jesus. Nothing's going to be lost. Nothing's going to fall through the cracks there. Everything is gathered in. And... Uh, so very good. Anything else that you see in in this as we are moving forward? It's interesting that um, said that he distributed those to those who received as much as they wanted. Uh, they all had enough to eat. Um, so if, if it's just stressing that everyone had some, that, that's a, a, enough. But the analogy there of Jesus being the bread of life. Everyone taking what what they need and as much as they want. To, um, Jesus fills fills us up. Uh, the school that I teach at serves a couple thousand people, and you can't just get as much as you want. And they don't have enough for everybody. But in this situation, uh, we see uh, that they were filled, and we see the concept of being filled. As much as, as much as we, they want, uh, as a common theme in the book, uh, back in chapter one in our prologue, in chapter one, verse sixteen, and of His fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received and grace for grace. We're going to see a connection in the as He is feeding them. Uh, as a as a shepherd, on chapter ten, verse ten, we see the chapter of the of the good shepherd. Uh, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly to the full and overflowing. Very good. Uh, and so as a result of this, we see that there are 12 uh, baskets full of uh, these fragments that, that end up remaining. And you see the conclusion that they come to. What do they realize? Or what do they think they realize when it comes to verse 14? Reveal something 
interesting point that I think to an extent they did understand the connection of the Passover and of Moses as a result of this this prophet who's to come into the world, your translation may have it capitalized perhaps because they, the translators see a connection with what Moses refers to as the prophet who's to come in, in his likeness um, and so uh, we see that they are coming to some kinds of conclusions and they want to make him a king. Would you consider Jesus as being successful and this is what Jesus wants in all of this? I don't know, because his response is not that he sits down and waits for him to fashion a crown and place on his head. In verse 15, uh, he sees that they're going to take him by force and make him king. And so he departed again to the mountain by himself, alone. So um, we see this, this first miracle. Jesus gives commands, he gives thanks, and then he's able to provide regardless of what they use. Now we're going to see what happens as a result of all of this. Let's go on. Next. The people... Put two and two together to feed the pot. Well, they put uh, four and four together and said, These are kings. They wanted to make them kings. They were grasping a bit more than maybe just a crop. They were grasping that there's something very, very special about him. He's the one that was spoken of, and so let's make him a king. And that's what they were going to do. Of course, again, they had the mentality of even Jesus' disciples that everything was physical. Everything was a material type of thing. Well, that's Jesus was a prophet, yet better than a prophet. Jesus was king, yet better than a king, more than a king. And uh, the, the spiritual impact is still lost on these people. You're not catching that he's the Savior. You see the connection with him being king. That Nathaniel came to that conclusion in chapter 1, verse 49, that he is the king of Israel. But we're going to see, and truly he is king. Do we want him to be king? I hope we do want him to be king, but we're going to see why they want him to be king later on in the book. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. This, you can see that their motivation is selfish motivation. Um, they come to this conclusion, and they're wanting to do something for themselves. They're wanting to make him king for themselves. 
And it, their response should have been, you're the Messiah, tell us what we need to do. Instead it was, we're going to tell you what you need. I put him into a box, I didn't worry it. Okay, you are a Messiah. Let's let's take over Rome. Let's let's make you king. Let's do whatever we want to do. Yes, right. So I swear I already said, but so I agree there was this there was this miracle, this sort of awe-inspiring miracle. It also appeared very much to be like test. Um you know, when in the wilderness they were given manna and they begged they, they wanted meat and they gathered up baskets of meat. And a bunch of them got sick as a result of it. And so I just wonder how much of this is just a test? Um, I mean, yeah, it was all inspired, but we see what we get out of it, and you know, here it is. They tell them they failed the test. So I just worry about when we have like this abundance in front of us. What's our response to it? You know, just eat our fill and gather up the extras. Um, you know, we're, uh, yeah. Good thoughts on the connection between uh, they were not they, they were commanded to not gather uh, of that manna, and we're going to see what what comes of that mindset of uh, of what kind of hunger do they truly have, and what does their hunger lead them to do. I do want to give uh, ample time, though we're, we're not going to uh, get that, to the, to the following miracle. Uh, verses 16 through 21, we see evening has come and the, and the disciples uh, are out on the sea waiting for Jesus. They, they end up going, to, going on their way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we see this great storm that arises. And uh, again, we see other uh, other gospels make reference to this, but this again has some extra kinds of details. Uh, they rode about three or four miles, uh, close to half a mile, more than halfway across uh, the lake, and then they end up seeing Jesus. What stands out to you as as it's going through this? Again, I want us to sort of see this as part of the entire chapter, not just as a standalone incident. I think John, in writing this, has particular purpose in this. Perhaps we will see more about that um, on Sunday. But what stands out to you in this part? How do they respond to the sea, to the wind, to the storm, to Jesus. They're frightened. They are afraid. Uh, and so, uh, as Jesus is crossing, sort of again reminds us of Moses crossing the Red Sea, uh, the, uh, they are frightened. And Jesus again has something to say. He has something to say. And that is, it is I, do not be afraid. What do you make of that? 
actually perceiving Jesus being in the midst of that. are they going to have? They have fear. And perhaps that may not be the right conclusion that they have, because Jesus says, do, do not be afraid. These other people, these 5,000, they had a misconception of who Jesus was. And they're not going to come to the same conclusion as, Jesus, as these disciples have. Remember, they uh, are told to not be afraid. They come to find peace and, and everlasting. So, thank you all for your comments and participation. We will, uh, our goal will be to get 22 uh, through 71 uh, next class. So, thank you all very much. We didn't have time. Yeah, I had seen that as well.